welcome to Helpful Social Work. Social work has the power to change people's lives for the better. This podcast aims to help you learn, think and act with integrity so people who need social work get help that will transform their lives. I'm Jo. And I'm Jerry. Welcome back to Series 4. Last podcast we talked about social work with uh, young people transitioning to adulthood. This is our second podcast of September. It's our B podcast. And in these podcasts, we are looking at big issues, um, not with any expectation of really solving them, but to think about them from a social work point of view. And it seemed that the migration theme, which we're going to talk about today, has a sort of logical fit with the theme of transition to adulthood because it's all about movement. And we'd love to hear from you about what you think of our efforts to look at these big issues through the social work lens. Um, I also have a few thank yous. Uh, we've had some Facebook likes from Mayoa, City, Lindsay, Colleen, Rune, Shabir, Sarah and Bridget. Um, and we've also, I've just got around to checking iTunes, um, which I hadn't looked at before. And there have actually been some reviews. Oh. So we say every month, leave a review on iTunes. Actually, some people, people have, do. which is yeah, great. Um, it just takes a second to click on a star rating and it does make a big difference because the more reviews we get the higher up we show in the search so the easier it is for people to find us so thank you to those who've done that but if anyone else feels like doing it just go to itunes find helpful social work and give us a rating oh brilliant okay there we go we should pay more attention to these things jerry but but i'd like to think that we're we're thinking about these big issues and i think um this is a really interesting podcast for me to do um, and so I can't promise that I will be um, entirely impartial because as I was researching and preparing for it, it was hitting lots of um, my own buttons because, of course, you can all hear from my twang that I am not English born and bred. I'm actually an Aussie um, who's been here for 18 years. So I think it'll be um, an interesting thing for us to think about and, and consider. So we're going to talk about migration and bring some research to it, but also some personal viewpoints and just have a discussion, really. So start with definitions. Um, yes. Yeah. So in terms of language, migration is movement from one place to another. Uh, if you emigrate, you leave your own country and go to live permanently in another country. Immigration um, is coming into a country to live. When people migrate, it might be... Um, temporary and you can migrate within countries as well as between them mm. so that's the kind of the language of it but actually in terms of um, policy the term of migration is used differently and migrant is used differently in different contexts so there's a really useful site migration observatory at the university of oxford and that talks about the fact there's no consensus on a single definition of a migrant so you might define a migrant as someone who has foreign birth or foreign citizenship, or has moved into a new country to stay temporarily, or has moved to settle long term. Um, you might include people who have parents who are foreign born, even if they themselves are born in a country. And from a legal perspective, there's quite a big difference between people who, in the UK, this is who are subject to immigration control. So they need permission to enter or to remain in the UK and people who are not subject to immigration control. So at the moment, we've got this interesting situation as well, where EU nationals haven't been subject to immigration control. And there's a big debate about what will happen yes. after Brexit. Oh. Um, 
Yeah. So we've got this interesting problem as well with data, because if you define migrant or, or migration differently, you get different data sets. Um, yeah. So if you define it as country of birth, then you've got foreign born people brought into that. If you define it as nationality, some people have got two nationalities, so that gets complicated. Mm -hmm. um, the Office for National Statistics talks about length of stay. Um, so a period of at least a year or longer in that in a different country. Um, and then there's also asylum seekers who are a small proportion or refugees who are a small proportion of migration as well. So you get different statistics, different analysis, gets really and messy in public debate. Yeah. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know how many of us would think about our language that carefully and what it is that we're actually meaning. I think um, certainly social workers who are working with asylum seekers have probably got a very nuanced language. But if you think about the public, Joe Public in our, in our entirety, I wonder if we make those definitions as finely or, or as if we understand um, when we read a report, when we read statistics, exactly what they're counting, because I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have. Um, some of the things that stuck out for me in what you've just said, um, when people migrate, they temporarily move to another place, usually a city or a country. But, of course, England has a history of, of people migrating from, you know, from towns and cities into different places all the time, don't they? Um, and we don't think about those people at all, I don't think, um, in, in the context of this conversation. Yet you can, you can experience a very different life if you move from, from one place to another, like, for instance, Cumbria to Reading or, um, you know, I guess Scotland to London or, you know, it's so within our country, when you move around, there can be some of the same effects or impacts. I think that's right. I think the the discussion about movement goes alongside a discussion about belonging. Mm, where I do you belong right. and where are you welcomed? Yes. Um, and actually that leads into another really interesting um, set of research from the University of Oxford about opinions on migration um, so they looked at polls and surveys from either great britain or the uk um that give ideas about what we have thought about migration over time what we think about it now um he headline messages really generally immigration is unpopular and has been unpopular um so the majority not a massive majority but the majority favor reducing immigration um, into the UK. Yeah. Um, that's actually not new, obviously, that's a historical thing, but it's interesting that it appeared to have softened in recent years. Right. So people were, so in 45% uh, of people agree that there were too many immigrants in 2017 compared to 64% in 2013. So there, well, there'd been a shift. Yeah. And, and do we know whether that shift has moved up again? Because I guess, um, once again, from public perception, when you think about, um, particularly since the EU referendum um, and the, or the conversations now, the noise often seems to be about migration as the key issue. And that leads you perhaps to think wrongly that um, the attitude is hardened. Yeah, so in the year, according to the Ipsos Mori data, in the year before the EU referendum, immigration was consistently named as the most salient issue, the thing that most people recognised um, 
facing the UK. And since the EU referendum in June 2016, it's been mentioned less and Brexit's been mentioned more. But of course, they are kind of bound up. They um, are. Another thing that's quite interesting is that there's preferences for different types of migrants. And this is something I think that's a global yeah. thing. Every every place has got its preferences about who they welcome. Um, and British people have tended to make clear distinctions between immigrants based on the country of origin. Um, interestingly, Australians are very popular. Well, um, we're... We're from here, most of us, Jerry. Yeah, yeah um, historically. And then, you know, <laughs> other places in Europe that are sort of similar, um, as you get further away within Europe, less similar, um, less popular. And then if you move into different ethnicities, different cultures, people tend to be, um, to have lower preferences. And that's been described by uh, Ford as an ethnic hierarchy. Yeah. So we prefer people, traditionally prefer people who are white, English-speaking, Europeans, Christian countries thing that's probably interesting to mention is because you, you said about Brexit is the changes in attitudes or the attitudes associated with Brexit so again from the Migration Observatory Remain voters on average are more pro-immigration Leave voters more anti-immigration um, but actually after Brexit Remain voters it appears shifted their views to be more favourable to immigration which wow. I think might be because it's more culturally bound up with the whole Remain identity so it's, I suppose, in summary, there's always been reservations about immigration. Our, our views of migrants do depend on who the migrant is. And we have hierarchies and we also shift, you know, depending on what else is going on in the context. And our hierarchies um, reflected in law or in the way we allow migration to happen. Because certainly, um, I don't know if you know this, but until the 70s in Australia, we actually had an active policy called the White Australia Policy, which was about hoping to seek um, and encourage migration from white English-speaking European and Christian countries. Um, and so it was, it was an actual active publicly state-endorsed um, activity, that that was what we were doing. Um, and that obviously was, was challenged successfully and um, there's now a very diverse population within Australia. Um, although that hangovers of that policy still remain with us. Yeah, and I think that there's... Uh been different periods in in migration history um and there's different welcomes given to different groups aren't there I and mean, we know yeah. that from the way that different groups are written about um also yes it can be reflected in national policy um there are countries that have quotas uh -huh. there's been discussion in the uk about having um points-based immigration yeah. we've obviously got currently this difference between people from the eu and people with um you know, who don't then have um, right of movement under the EU yep. policies. And we've also historically got, I think, um, kind of grandparent rights, you know, people who've had ancestry um, who yep. have then been entitled to kind of come in. And mm. there's, there's some overseas territories. There's, it's very complicated, I think. And yes. um, I think the thing that, made, that research made me think about is that 
if our opinions shift over time and if we have these hierarchies, then there is scope there for change of opinion and greater under you know, if we un have better understanding of groups mm. of different places if we have um more knowledge of and closer mm. relationships then our opinions can shift so yes. there's actually scope to be much more favorable towards people um, treat people much better yeah it's that idea isn't it that that there's more that binds us together than separates us and um often exposure is what shows us that you know that we we find our similarities with each other um much more than our differences in the end the things that are really useful for the information that's really useful for social workers is some of the stuff that i've talked about about what you know what we mean by in the language also um some of the information about attitudes um, mm. and then also really crucially just a much greater understanding or as great an understanding as we can have about the experience of migrants yes um, so that personal experience that you've talked about um there's a really useful um set of essays by people from um black and asian minority ethnic communities called the good immigrant mm. which is all about what it's like being another or being seen as another and having to mm. really work hard to justify being in a space yeah regardless of actually your right to be there your contribution um who you are anything about you just that kind of immediate deficit view that you have to overcome yes yeah and i'm certainly i certainly can say that i've encountered that um i've encountered a lot of kindness too actually and a lot of welcome and a lot of opportunity but i've definitely encountered the deficit model um and where i'm from it normally comes um out as you're not from round here are you as the opener of the conversation um yeah, and, and that's uh, really interesting because if we consider that on that sort of theoretical hierarchy you would be the most welcomed amongst the yes. most welcomed and you're experiencing that yeah absolutely yeah i think that sense of belonging is is really is a really interesting thing for us to to reflect on as social workers the, and the other thing that it's important to know, I think, as a social worker is what your population looks like and what's going on yeah. for people. Um, so, again, there's this is just the overall picture in the UK. Um, there were about five point. There were about five point three million migrants, foreign born people mm -hmm. in 2004. Um, and there's that's increased about nine point four million in 2017. Um, that's still quite a small share of a 70 million population yes, um, it really is the there's interesting information about work patterns um migrant workers are more likely to work during night shifts and in non-permanent jobs in the uk and then the uk born are so mm -hmm. so we, you know they might have less less stable secure work um interesting it might be healthier um they're however if you live in the UK for longer as a migrant, you're more likely to develop health problems compared to others in the same age groups, which I think is quite interesting. Um, so there's, it's just the, you know things like that, going and looking mm. at that kind of research around um, what, um, you know, how, how the experience of people who are foreign born or are from a different, um, who've moved into the UK or here temporarily, what their experience is compared to 
the settled population, more settled population, I think is really useful for us to understand. And it's useful for us too to be able to talk well about these things, particularly to challenge. Um, you know, if we're working in areas where we're trying to help people settle and find a way to belong, um, and, and if there's a kind of high anxiety in the local population about the impact of that, then actually knowing that unemployed migrants are less likely to claim unemployed benef unemployment benefits um, can, can be helpful. Sometimes it's good to actually be able to talk to people in terms of, well, these are the facts. Yeah, I think that's why I, I listened to a really um, interesting um, discussion about perceptions versus reality of numbers of migrants. Mm. So that was looking at migrants defined as people who um, had moved to the country, weren't born there. Yeah. Which, of course, might mean that you have ancestry that relates to the citizenship mm. of the country. Mm. So it's a particular definition. Um, but in that case, um, the both Europeans and Americans were estimating that population to be significantly larger, like three times as large as it actually was. And the the researcher just said at the end, I don't have any solutions to offer in terms of policy. My recommendation is that when we make policy, we make it on the basis of the facts. Yes. You know, how many people are we talking about? Where are they actually from? What is their actual experience? And I think that that was just a really useful message. Um, yeah. So for example, asylum claims in the UK are less than 5% of the total number of applications made across the EU. That mm. was the stat from 2017. And yet we're worried about potentially being overwhelmed or there being lots and lots of people. So I think we've just got to kind of, yeah, as you say, have a fact-based policy. Absolutely. And, and, have, and have those facts for us to try and understand um, what it is that people are fearful of. Because there are a lot of stories around. Mm. Yeah, and I think and so, that is the first part of our role, isn't it? It's to yep. it's to, to talk about what's actually happening, and be prepared to listen to people's experience, but to try to put those into context. Mm. Yeah, and it's not a question of dismissing anybody's perceptions, actually, in in a kind of well, you're wrong way, but it's about being more curious about what it is that's led them to think, like what's their direct lived experience that's led them to think this is happening like yeah it's really important isn't it to have diverse voices because the other thing that happens is that the debate gets overwhelmed by the people who already have a stake in the place who already have mm. the power um rather than hearing from others and actually that that leads me to to um think about the other thing that it's worth mentioning is, is the hostile environment which is mm. discussed a lot in the uk at the moment which is deliberate policy attempts to yes. um, make it harder for people to yeah. be yeah. welcomed and to thrive in the UK, mm. Mm. Um, including people who've been here for a long time yes. um, or would have had rights to be here. Um, so the Windrush generation, um, we, mm. we know that there's at least, um, well, the, the government's estimated that at least 83 members of the Windrush generation may have been wrongly removed from the UK since 2002. Mm. That's, that's the lowest estimation, isn't it? Yes. So, um, so the, we we also need to be challenging that as well. Why is it that we? You know, what kind of a society do we want? You know, what's the philosophical basis of our migration policy? And mm. um, I think it goes hand in hand when we're thinking about welcoming people 
to our country. We also need to think about um, where people are from as well. Mm. And I think that there's there's kind of two sides to this. There's helping people to thrive where they are. And then there's also enabling them to thrive somewhere else if they need to or want to. You know, and, and what that means. And yes. um, so it's a collective discussion, isn't it? It's a global discussion. And they're very they're very different experiences, though, aren't they, Jerry? This is what always strikes me. It's like I came to this country by choice. My experience was one that was totally by choice. Everything that I did was by choice. And that is a wonderful place to be in. But actually, not everybody who comes to another country comes totally by choice. And and I think that's important for social workers to hold in mind. Um, because somebody who comes because they perceive they can't get all the things that they need or want for their family and for themselves from their own country or because actually they believe that their life is at threat or because they've lost everything due to war, those circumstances all need to be understood and thought about and talked about for the individual rather than as kind of lumping everybody together, if that makes sense. I think that's right and I think that that comes into two two other kind of roles that social workers have so we have a community role where we enable different groups to talk about what's happening and to understand each other's experiences mm. and views mm. and to um, recognize the diversity of experience and I think there's also the individual role of championing social justice and individual human rights for people mm. who mm. need our support um, there's a book that I've just bought, which has just come out, which is called Social Work with Refugees, Asylum Seekers and Migrants, which is edited by Lauren Rowe, Rachel Larkin and Rayma Anna Maglilich. And I'm sorry if I've got those names pronounced wrongly, um, but this is all about the social work role. And so this book talks about the impact of, of migration, the movement and the change and the loss and the potential separation um, and the, I guess, the hope that might go with it. And the challenges that people face, um, which might be really fundamental things like destitution, homelessness, detention, kind of needs that might arise, particularly, say, for children or for people with disabilities. Um, and then the social work response, which it says are, is, you know, knowing the law, being absolutely ethical, um, trying to develop brilliant practice, because if you've got that kind of expertise, then you're more likely to be listened to if you really know what you're talking about you really know what what's helpful but also the ability to be creative um when there's you know there's very little to work with um but there are these people who have who are tremendous you know who've got this amazing um resilience and strength to have made these journeys um and it's all summed up really wonderfully with this phrase that it's working towards a social work without borders that centers and partners with the individuals and families. Um, this is a social work where we resist austerity and hostility together alongside one another. And it um, talks about pushing the borders of what it means to be a social worker. So not having these narrow roles, but having the sense of social work that is inclusive um, and, and reaches out across borders. And it is, um, it is interesting, isn't it, these, these questions, why do we have borders? 
and why do we gather together and exclude others? And is that the way we want to practice social work? And is it is it something that is actually needed um, in a world that is increasingly connected? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's scope, isn't there, for the future for there to be much fewer borders and barriers. Um, and I think that that's something that social workers can work towards, you know, and a welcoming and inclusive environment, not a hostile mm. one. Um, yeah. And then there were there were things that are currently in place. Um, so the 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 kind of example that springs to mind is the no recourse to public funds. So these clear lines about who is entitled to things and people who aren't. And the impact that can have on people if they if they don't have recourse to public funds and they need help, and that's a really strong social work. That's an example of a really strong social work human rights role. Um, and and the reason that I mention that is because there was a motion at the Baswa annual general meeting in June that we should be working to help social workers understand the impact of no recourse to public funds and understand how they can help people who find themselves just in really perilous territory. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, of course, in children's services, the um, asylum seeking age issue is is a really big one. So being able to um, understand whether someone seeking asylum is a child or not, therefore entitled to um, care from children's services. And that, that has put lots of social workers into really tricky situations um, where they see a person, a young person in front of them who clearly has needs um, and they're, you know, expected to gather evidence to to prove that they're a child before they can offer them that support. And I think that that's um, something that's been positively challenged now. And uh, Home Office has um, published a new detention services order about managing age dispute cases in immigration detention. And um, the mandatory instructions include that the individual must only be treated as an adult if their physical appearance or demeanour very strongly suggests they are over 25. Um, Yeah, so that's called the age dispute cases in immigration detention centres and the care and management of post-detention age claims. So that's worth um, people who are working in children's services having a good look. Yeah, and and I mean, another thing that, it's probably worth mentioning on this podcast is the work that the National Association of Social Workers in America are doing to support social workers to understand how to help um, people who are detained at the border in America mm. oh, yeah. because of the hostile environment there. Uh, so there's there's a lot of social workers I think can do collectively as well as individually and that requires us to really inform ourselves, doesn't it? Um, and to be prepared to put ethics and rights ahead Mm. of roles and policies and I I see social workers doing that all over the place but obviously it's easier to do that given the the power issues when we do that collectively. And the last thing for me is that you know if you have a human standing in front of you then the most common thing that you have is your humanity and surely in social work we want to respond to, to each human in an ethical, fair and caring manner, um, trying to enable them to live the best life that they can. So you had a few points for reflection to think about 
for us to finish with? Yeah, it's just one that but one years and years ago I was talking with um, a family member in Australia and she was very she was young but she had some really hard views about um, immigration and people coming to Australia um, and what was known then as the boat people, I guess, um, you know, to give people a, a dehumanising label, which is which is what it does. And I really, I was listening to her. We were sitting there at this at, at the harbour on the sea, and you know, the ocean is so vast, Jerry. And I just said to her, "Why don't you, for a minute, just stop and close your eyes?" And think about everything you have and hold dear in your life, including all the fixtures and the fittings and the things that surround you. And now imagine yourself just letting it all go, not putting it in storage or selling it on eBay or leaving it for friends to look after or putting it in cartons to send somewhere. And then take one last look at the land one last smell of the air, last taste of the food, and then run. And use every single resource you have to put yourself into a place of incredible danger, into the hands of strangers, and to arrive in a place where the language, the sounds, the smells, and the sights are completely unfamiliar. Arrive there with nothing and start again. You know, really, what would make you do that? Because to me, humans love to hold on to things. We, we, we gather and we accumulate and we, you know, we're all about kind of gathering things to us. And yet the people who we work with often have had to leave everything behind. And that takes a tremendous amount of courage and a tremendous amount of desperation. And, and I just think that as social workers, we need to be able to really challenge that negative response to refugees and asylum seekers. And we can't be in their shoes, but as far as possible, we need to help people have insights into the journeys they've taken and acknowledge that the journeys were not by choice. Um, and I think to let go of everything involuntarily must shake the very soul of who you are and so for me, that brings us to, as social workers, how can we support refugees to build a sense of identity that combines who they were and what they'll be able to become in their future? Yeah, because welcoming people isn't the same as assimilating them, is it? No. It's about welcoming who they are and making a connection between this place and the place they came from yeah. that makes sense that's coherent mm. um yeah and that offers them a sense of pride mm. and, and that's dignity. reciprocal so we yeah. we we gain from mm. the the movement in as well as as the people who come in and of course actually that's the other thing just but migrants bring things as well as take things away and our food our language our music our culture all those things become richer and richer and richer um, as, as things are mixed in. And so, yeah, there's, there is something about acknowledging contribution both ways, isn't there, that, that needs to be promoted. Yeah, and generally the research points to a net economic benefit from having migration. 
Mm. Um, that's net. That's everyone overall. Yeah. Um, overall, we do better. Of course, that's not spread evenly. And that's no. why if you want migration and welcome, you also have to think about inequality. Yeah, and you have to think about what resources people are competing for. Mm-hmm. I think this is really important. Yes, your final reflective question actually I think probably sums it up, doesn't it? Which is how do we build, how do we as social workers help to build healthy communities which yeah. are curious about difference and excited about the possibility that a different experience or viewpoint can bring where there is that openness and optimism about diversity and you know, willingness to include 